Bible is very fundamentally an urban book. God's project in human history, although it begins in a garden, when you follow the big line of the story, you see that God is constantly using his people in the great cities of the world. Hello, this is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together we're learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. Today, I want to share with you a conversation I recently had with Dr. Glenn Smith. Uh, Glenn is a professional missiologist. He's the author of several books, including Hope for the City, God in the City, and also The Gospel and Urbanization. As a missiologist, he takes a look and says, what does it mean for us to reach out uh, and, and go forward with gospel mission in our culture, taking a lot of the lessons uh, that came from the mission field and applying them to kingdom ministry here in our increasingly changing, urbanizing world in North America. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. It definitely will inspire you and help really inform you about some of the most important trends that are taking place. So give it a listen. All right, I'm sitting here with Dr. Glenn Smith. He's the Chief Advocate Professor of Urban Theology and Missiology at, I'm not even going to try to say the name of the school. Can you at, tell it uh, for me? the Institut de Théologie pour la Francophonie, which is associated with the Université Laval. Okay, Good. wonderful. I love it. Thanks for being here with us, Glenn. I appreciate I'm del- it. I'm delighted to be here. And whenever I can help interpret people's French to an American audience, I'm always game. I, I love that. That's beautiful. <laughs> I actually had to take some French in, in high school and uh, from a for PhD work, and I always just kind of squeaked through. And when it came to, to enunciation or pronunciation, I was a hopeless loss. Donc, tu ne veux pas continuer en français pour cette émission. <laughs> Je ne parle pas français. <laughs> so, you're, you're from our northern neighbor for Canada, and you work as a missiologist in Montreal. Can you just share a little bit about what, what in the world that means for, okay. our, for our listening audience? Well, Missiology is that interdisciplinary side of theology that integrates, because it's an integrating field, that integrates our understanding of God's mission and, for me, cities. So I have a bias for cities. My my love is for cities, partly because Canadian is a Canada is an urban country. Yeah. Um, and so we do biblical exegesis. Do we do history of the church? We do cultural studies. We do uh, community development, uh, and we bring it all together into the field of missiology. Okay. Wow, that's amazing. So you look at what is you know kind of the nature of urbanization, yeah. uh, the the and, and try to develop a theological. Interpretation right. of That's what right. that means. Or you go the other way. And in reading the scriptures, what do the scriptures teach us historically, exegetically, theologically about cities? But then cities talk back to the Bible so that we create then this uh, horizons so that we understand both text and context. Oh, that's... that's- that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, unpack that for for us. So so give us. I mean, br- bring it down to to ground level. How how do we get that? Or where's an example in scripture of, okay. of what you're talking about? No, no, great question. Um, um, we always need to remember that the Bible is very fundamentally an urban book. That God's project in human history, although it begins in a garden, when you follow the big line of the story, you see that God is constantly using his people in the great cities of the world. So that's why there's there's names of about 106 cities in the wow. Bible. But the most famous ones, obviously, are Jerusalem, there's Sodom and Gomorrah, there's Babylon, uh, but you go into other cities Nineveh, now, now yeah. Nineveh, now what are part of Iran and Iraq. 
We get a glimpse through the Ethiopian eunuch of a city that he will return to, which is now Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. Uh, we hear about Alexandria. We hear about Egypt, which was probably Cairo. Um, and, and so all of this comes together so that we get a big picture that God really is rooted his stories in cities. Now, on the other side, the context side then, is studying our cities so we understand both what's going on in terms of the social imaginaries, the worldviews of cities, but what's going on socio-demographically, socio-economically, socio-religiously in our different neighborhoods across, for us, our great cities here in uh, North America. So I would assume that, uh, like, Revelation 2 and 3 feeds into that in a big way. But particularly 22. <laughs> well, that, and that's, that's the yeah. ultimate city, yeah, right? That's, that's right. the that's eternal right. city. Yeah, right. Revelation right. 2 and 3, Jesus addresses himself to churches in seven different cities. City. Exactly. And, okay. and you see that the, the, the call to the church is at one time very spiritual, and yeah. there's, there's a spiritual you know, component of warfare exactly. up there in the heavenlies. Yeah, that's right. And it's also intensely practical. It's economic. Exactly. Right what, on what, the ground. You know, what that's are you right. doing there? I mean, but there's, you, the, there's the beauty of... Jonah being sent to Nineveh. Um, So obviously he becomes then the first cross-cultural, quote-unquote, missionary that is sent from Israel to the foreign city. And and God asks him that question at the end of chapter 4. Don't I have a right to be concerned for 120,000 people that don't know their left hand from their right hand? And the cows. <laughs> that is always that that into that chapter always makes me laugh. It's yeah, so it's great. wonderful. Well, I actually because I also teach aesthetics, um, I, I love art. Um, I always take my students to the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts because on the front lawn, uh, the Franco Saskatchewanian uh, sculpture Joseph Farfar actually sculpted a cow, and her name is Claudia. And I always like to take my students there to say, you see, God loves Montreal so much that he gives us Claudia to remember that God has compassion, not just on people, but on urban systems. Claudia. Amen. That's beautiful. I love it. So God, for for a lot of people, they're going to be listening to this and saying, well, are you saying God doesn't care care about the country? What is, what is the, what's the, what's the essence of God's concern with cities? What is it that animates God's heartbeat for cities as they move through? Okay. Place. God's concerned about place. So no, God doesn't have a, have a bias for cities over or rural areas. Um, he probably is not always enamored by suburbs um, <laughs> because, because they're not, they're, they're even he, when he doesn't, both, he doesn't love strip malls. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, when Paul describes his, his life in, in, in second Corinthians 11, uh, you know, he talks about how he's traveled on the sea. He's traveled in deserts. He's traveled to cities. Uh, he's traveled in the arid areas, but he never talks about that middle category. Category, so but I'm sure, but God loves place. That's what's important. Developing a theology of place. Now, for some someone who's who's new and listening to this, what is a theology of place? What does that entail? A theology of place is rooted in God in His very missional character. So, therefore, if we want to know what God's like. We understand what God does. We don't make a distinction between his perfections and his actions. And in fact, the stories of the Bible tell us more about God than anything else. So therefore, we see God at work through his people in place, in context. And so therefore, we take those stories and we begin to understand how God created place. But the undeniable reality of sin and evil 
and death becomes the great enemy, not just of the story, but then of the city, of place. And so therefore we follow Israel, we follow recreation through Jesus, we go through the great literature of the early church beginning with Acts and the Apostles and through the canonical epistles, and we see that they're always written to Christians in cities. I mean, Paul was the ultimate urban yeah. missionary. Yeah. He was the urban church planter. The, the early church um, congregated in cities. And what was interesting was that the first Christians were called les urbanus, yeah. the dwellers of cities. Those that lived in the out country were called the paganus, the pagans. Now I say it's a quirk of history. Now who lives in cities? Oh, we say they're pagans. Yeah. But you know, but 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 it was always the Christians that developed and lived in the early cities. But all of this looks forward to the text we were just talking about, Revelation twenty-two. Yes. But we got that in Zechariah chapter eight. We've got that in uh, Isaiah sixty-five. We've got that in Ezekiel forty to forty-eight. Yes. We get these images, these metaphors of um, the city that God is building for us today. So, the city of God, it, right? That's right. Exactly. I think someone wrote a book about that. Yeah. <laughs> un, un, unreadable completely, but it's a great text. <laughs> Augustine. Um, so we are, we're talking about doing ministry in a particular place, and in some ways that, that leads me to ask, how, how do we do that when it feels like we've been so displaced as Christians in the modern world? Well, that's that certainly is true for us white folk. Um, black um, followers of Jesus in North America, both in your country here in the U.S. and particularly in Canada. Uh, black folk always stayed in the cities, and some of the most dynamic churches historically have been black congregations, uh, even to this very day, in the, in the center of our North American cities. Um, but what it, what it involves, first of all, is doing a really good study of the city, of the neighborhood, of the borough, of the, the region where a congregation is either going to be planted or where it is. So that means we want to understand two things. We want to understand space. How do people think? What are the forces that are affecting them? And I mean, there's big forces today in Western culture. Hyper-individuality, hyper-sexualization, um, uh, hyper-materialism. These, these are forces that have to be taken seriously. They're idolatries. So you, you, you want to understand space. But then you want to understand place. You want to understand that neighborhood. You want to understand that community. You want to understand that borough. Now, uh, both the Canadian government and the American government have great census data that helps Christians get a handle on, you know, what, what are marriage rates? What are school dropout rates? What are average and median revenue? Uh, what are uh, scholastic rates? All of these things become very important that when you put space and place together in what we like to call the exegesis of a community, creates opportunities for the church to say, where is God at work in our neighborhood where we can join God in God's project right here? What are the aspirations? What are the hopes? Uh, what are the concerns of people? What are the obstacles to people realizing their hopes and their dreams? And so when you bring place and space together, and then you begin to see what's going on, what I discover, and what I try to help congregations discover, is what's the white space? 
What's not being done in a community where the church can move into the white space and propose initiatives, strategies, um, can can work in partnership with other churches, with other parishes, um, where it can join social service agencies and volunteering uh, to meet the deepest aspirations of people who live there, but doing it in the name of Jesus. That's why I think... Christian witness is the best term for ministry in the city because we want to bear witness to Jesus and all of his teachings in word and deed. And we just do it on the ground. That's incredible. What do, what do you do when someone's? I, I'm, I don't know if anybody says this to you, but what do you do when someone says, well, isn't the simple gospel enough? Isn't it just enough to tell the message that Jesus forgives us of our sins, to preach that message, and, and then trust people are going to live good lives? It seems like oh, yeah. you're making it way too complex. I mean, <laughs> pastors aren't sociologists, are they? <laughs> yeah, I hear that question all the time, and I, say, and I would always say, why would you want to quit what the early church up through the first five centuries of the church did? I mean, the church first got its recognition in Rome as a burial society. They traveled the streets at night and picked up the dead, the corpses, and they buried them because they said even dead people were created in the image and likeness of God. And they were recognized as a burial society. You see, the question is, what is at the heart of God's mission? And God's mission is about reconciliation, it's about service, and it's about Christian witness, it's about justice and forgiveness, it's about stewardship of all God created. Now, yeah, sometimes I hear from pastors, they'll say to me, boy, you make it complicated. My answer to that one is really quite simple. I said, you're right. But I said, it's not my fault. That's God's vision for the city. (laughs) He wants it to be good. (laughs) He wants it to be good. He wants it to be good. good. So we're... We are what what I hear uh, us talking about is saying, okay, we see this beautiful vision of the city in in Revelation uh, twenty one and twenty two, where the, the the heaven heaven comes to earth, and right. you know, it, how do we? In some ways, we're giving witness to that future reality here and now. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's I mean, okay. So here's the big word, but we're going to have to. You see, that's what that's what eschatology is all yeah. about. Uh, now, that's what eschat- I was trying to avoid. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's unpack, let's, let's unpack no, it. Let's unpack it. Let's unpack it. Often, eschatology is only understood as the future. Right. But I want to say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because God's rule in Jesus Christ is now. It began in his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, but it's not yet. So that really means that in Jesus, the church brings the future into the present. So I'm under no uh, premonition that I'm going to be a part of helping to solve all of Montreal, my city's uh, dilemmas. But we pursue what God is looking forward to in the future, and we get it started in the present. Something about being the light, right? I mean, in some way, we bring the light of eternity into the present. Yeah. Well, remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. But we always forget the third uh, metaphor in that part. We're a city on a hill. Now, I realize in your country, uh, Boston, 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 Boston was the city on the hill. Um, But um, that only came from a Puritan understanding. But But it's so true. The church in the city is a city on the hill. That's beautiful. Yeah. So we're talking about creating the kind of communities that are not um, are not disconnected from place. Uh, we're not we're not just uh, perpetu- perpetuating a kind of some some sort of denominational cut and cut and dry pattern in every new place. And yeah. you go to one here, and you go to one across the country, and they look the same. We're talking about being highly attuned to our current context, yeah. right? So so help me out. 
I'm talking with a group of local pastors. You're speaking yeah. with a group of local pastors. And they're like, How, what are the questions that we need to ask ourselves so okay. that we can yeah. start doing this work you're talking about here? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a PhD in missiology, <laughs> but I want to do something. Okay. And what are so, the questions okay, that, so that So let's talk just briefly then about what I call the exegesis of community, the exegesis of a city. Um, it begins maybe with a group of tri- people in a church, but working with other congregations. You want to do this in the very best sense of, a, of, a, of an inter-church initiative. So you'd want to get a hold of census data. You'd want to look at your census tracts, and you'd want to begin to understand what's going on uh, in terms of children, in terms of marriage, um, in terms of economics, in terms of scolarity, in terms of religious data. Just get the, the hard data. But don't get paralyzed by it. Then what I always do is I train churches to go out and do what we call stakeholder interviews. They interview residents. Wow. They can be mothers. They can be single mothers. They should include adolescents. They should include university and college students. They should include families. Um, They should include business people. And you want to ask them a series of questions about what do they perceive are the hopes and ambitions, the dreams of people that live in that community, but what are the obstacles to seeing it happen? You where do you, where do you in, find something like that? Do you have? Is there? Is there? Yeah, a, your listeners can contact us at Christian Direction in Montreal. Okay. They can go online to www.direction.ca. Beautiful. And uh, they can get all the information there. We have all these tools available. We make them available to people. And so you can you can actually find exactly what yeah. you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, that's right. That that's we right. can go into our community. That's right. Exactly. Okay, keep going. So, so you do you do stakeholder interviews with residents. You do stakeholder interviews with social intervention workers. Because those are the people that are in the community centers, and they've got their pulse on the community. You ask them similar questions. Uh, You talk to all the church leaders uh, in a community, and you begin to develop a portrait. Now, one of the things that you'd find on that website is an article which I've called Reading Your City. And it gives you all the tools on how to do that. And, uh, and that, that can be a real help. So you, uh, we always train people on how to do this so that then we develop a composite picture. This is usually a document. And it's what we call the exegesis. So for you in Grand Rapids, the north side of the city. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We're south side, but that's south good. South <laughs> side. Okay, but there is a north side. Yeah. Okay. But you, you get a composite view. But this is where this then becomes a tool that churches can use together, not just to network and know each other and pray together. They want to do that. But at the same time, they can begin to say, why is it in our neighborhood? For example, where my work, wife works as a community development worker, 52% of the boys were dropping out of school before they graduated in her neighborhood. Wow. And so she began to ask questions. Why is it so high in our neighborhood? They began to work in consultation with other churches and other organizations. And over the course of the last 10 years, that dropout rate has dropped to 36%. Now, that's still a disaster, okay? But it's a huge improvement because it's churches working for the peace and well-being, if you will, the social and spiritual transformation of place. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And what a witness that is. And, and like you said, that goes right back to the first century. Oh, exactly. I mean, while, while everybody's running out of the cities because of the plagues, yeah. the Christians are moving in that's and, right. and caring for the sick that's and the right. needy. Exactly. And exactly. I, I, I don't see, in a world where um, that in, there's increasing 
secularity. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm so used to using the word secularization, which maybe you can unpack that first. Yeah. But in a world where you've got increasing skepticism of, about Christianity oh, yeah. and the message we, we preach, if we don't have our feet on the ground to show the gospel as well as the speak neighborhood, the gospel. The neighborhood's not going to listen. Yeah, they're exactly. not going to listen. Well, okay, I'll unpack those words. Um, and, and, then I'll, and then I'll go to what I think is at the heart of what the issue is here. Historically, we've talked about secularism, the word that you like to use, secularization, and then the word that I prefer to use, secularity. Obviously, the secular is then what is not sacred. Okay, so um, secularism historically was a good word. It, it was what was used for lay people. Um, but now it, now it tends to mean the evacuated public space from religion. Yeah. Okay, secularization has been the process of the marginalization of the social significance, the institutional significance of God, of Jesus, of church, of the Bible, of religion. It gets shoved to the sidelines. What's happened, though, is we realize that secularization overpromised. They thought that religion would disappear. They can't kill it. You you can't (laughs) kill it. And in fact, it's more alive in cities today than it ever was when the secularization theorists. In fact, Peter Berger, the great uh, Lutheran uh, sociologist, at the end of his life, he repented. He said, I got it wrong. (laughs) You can't get rid of it. You can't. So that's why the word secularity becomes important. And this is the word that the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor uh, coined and used. Taylor's point was this. 500 years ago, in Western culture, we're talking Western culture, um, it was virtually impossible not to believe. Yeah. Today, publicly speaking, in the Western world, it's virtually impossible to believe publicly. Because what's at the heart of secularization? Now, he has a really fancy term for it. My term is hyper-individuality. We have evacuated the transcendence from our culture. Social media does this to us all the time. My middle daughter lives in the Solomon Islands. I communicate to her in real time. Yeah. Okay? Time and space gets squeezed. There's no transcendence left. That's what Taylor would call secularity. So that therefore today, everybody creates their own meaning. That's the great danger. Um, And that's really where the church needs to say, wait a minute, The gospel, the good news, God's mission, is about a people in place that interpret the good news. They're the entity that interprets the good news to the neighborhood. And so, therefore, we combat individuality with uh, us, who we are as God's people, not just individually. Which is one of the only, uh, which is, I think, we're the only one with that game in town. Oh, for sure, for sure. Because yeah. the government can't do it, well, they can, no, they can the only yeah, the they can only give resources yeah. downwards yeah. towards yeah. towards people groups. Yeah. We actually we have a community of people from the ground up. That's right. Yeah, that that have a transcendent message. That's right. For, well, you know what's in, in, for there, there are there are corporate entities structures that sometimes catch our imagination. Sports teams do this. Yeah, but it's all eminent. Yeah. It doesn't answer the fundamental questions about how should I live? Who am I? What should we do? Right. Um, th- that's where then a message that incorporates the good news um, and, and helps people to understand what it means to find and follow God and be found in Jesus. That's the good news. Amen. Yeah. It's the one that changes everything. Exactly. It's beautiful. It's the one that's going to yeah. lead to a new city here on yeah. earth. Yeah.
Well, Dr. Smith, thank you so much for being with us, Glenn. It's, it's been great. Well, listen, it's been a delight. And if any of your listeners want to get any of that information, they can go and consult the website at www.direction.ca. And I encourage you to do that. Learn more about this. Bring it to your local church. Bring it to your small group. This is just a way for you as a Christian to grow in your understanding and insight that we are called to a place to be a kind of people that the world cannot create. It's only created through the gospel. All right. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed it. Hey, why don't you let us know what you think about the Organic Outreach Podcast. If you haven't done this already, we would love it if you would go to the iTunes store or your Google Play store or however or wherever you download this podcast and leave us a review. That would be great. Goodbye. God bless. But I also encourage you, help us get the word out by joining the Organic Outreach Media Squad. All you have to do is send an email to info at organicoutreach.org and let us know that you want to join the team. If you do, we'll send you one of our newly minted Organic Outreach Media Squad mugs. Just imagine how jealous your friends are going to be when they see you sipping your favorite beverage in one of these babies. I think you want to do it. Well, for now, <laughs> this is Adam Barr reminding you, make time to share God's life 